All right, uh, today is April the 22nd, 2010. So, let's do our standard operating procedure. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer and rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your many blessings that you give us every day. However, we're not to get distracted by your wonderful logistical grace blessings and super grace blessings. We need to recognize that we have a job to do, that is to serve you and grow in grace and knowledge. So we pray that you'll help us to focus on your mighty word this evening, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I received something, uh, an email today, and I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. Just I, don't, I might not even read it at all, just give you a synopsis of it. Um, they're criminalizing Christianity in the UK. In this particular case, it was a nurse in a hospital, a veterans hospital, and they said that if she wants to keep her job, she's going to have to uh, take off the crucifix that she was a little cross uh, necklace that she had. And it says that the English nurse has been wearing these uh, necklaces uh, for centuries. And yet, uh, this, this court decided that uh, they can't do that anymore. This one guy says, uh, how can it be, according to the statement of Lord Judge Newberger, the convention only applies to religious beliefs. Listen to this. This is the guy, that, the judge that made this ruling. He said, according to the statement from Lord Judge, Lord Judge David Newberger, the convention applies only to religious beliefs. He, right before that, it says that... Uh, World War II European Convention on Human Rights guaranteed the right to exercise religious conscience. And then he, this, he goes on to say here that this judge that ruled against this said it was worthy of respect that convention in a democratic society and are not incompatible with human dignity. In other words, it applies only to religious beliefs worthy of respect in a democratic society. And what was she wearing? The cross. Now, what does that suggest? Christianity is not worthy of respect in a democratic society. That's essentially what the, the ruling had to do with. And <coughs> the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, appealed this. Then there's a columnist by the name of Melanie Phillips that writes the Daily Mail. She's a Jew. And she writes, This attack on Christianity is not merely something that seems straight out of Alice in Wonderland. It's not merely a threat to freedom of speech and religious expression. It is a fundamental onslaught on the national identity and bedrock values of this country. And as such, will destroy those freedoms which Christianity itself first created. Political class 
intelligentsia taken acts to its moral precepts, that is, the church's moral precepts on issues such as euthanasia, sex outside of marriage, and abortion. And then it talked about how um, this same judge last year ruled that a, a um, marriage registrar, she was a civil servant in Britain, civil marriage registrar, he ruled that um, that she had broken the law because she refused to conduct civil union ceremony to, ceremonies between gays because it was contrary to her Christian faith. And he said that doesn't matter. She's still breaking the law. He didn't say what the uh, consequences were. And then says, outward signs and symbols of Christianity must be suppressed so nurses, policemen, civil servants, and citizens may not know their number should they be ordered to act in ways contrary to their convictions. In other words, if you see a lot of people wearing crosses and there's an order that goes out that is contrary to what their Christian convictions would be, they would be more apt to comply with it if they didn't know how many of them there really were that it affected. That's what it's saying. That's why they didn't want to wear the symbols. Because they say, oh, well, everybody, you see them all the time, everywhere. And they would be more apt to not comply. It says, if court decisions banning mere symbols of faith stand, I predict the next round of cases will be for verbal expression of Christian values. This was by this, this lady... Uh, columnist uh, Melanie Phillips and then this last part says criminalization is underway in the European Union and UK and has already begun in the USA 2009 declassified Homeland Security white paper includes quote Christian identity groups as potential terrorists this document targets Identity groups are, in quotation marks, lone wolves, individuals who profess to be Christian and dare to question any form of taxation, abortion, or speak in defense of states' rights versus federal authority. And they're saying this, this white paper that came from the Department of Homeland Security says these individuals <coughs> are potential terrorists. Very interesting, huh? Well, we're not going to wring our hands. We are ambassadors of the Most High, and we're going to keep being ambassadors, aren't we? I mean, we represent Him, and we are to represent Him in word and deed. So, we're going to get back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I wanted to start with this. This is where... <coughs> We ended last time, and I wanted to go over this verse again. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 10. And actually, we went over this last time, but I think we need to give it another shot. It was interesting because I was on the Internet in a virtual classroom this morning with three other pastors and a seminary student, and we were reading this We we. We started reading in uh, Colossians chapter 1, went all the way through verse 25, and we were reading this in the Greek. And so 
I said, when we started reading it, I said, aha, that rings a bell. <laughs> so I thought we ought to look at this again because this is a great verse and it, and it reads us right in to where we are now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12. This, you could say, is a comparative verse, a sister verse. And there's a lot in it. So let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. You can turn in your Bibles, or you can just look up here. And I, I, I call this here uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9b, actually, to be specific. And I don't have my Bible open to Colossians. Let me get there, and I can read the first part. Verse 9 says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, that was the part that I left out because I didn't think it was germane, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now you notice there, may be filled is a verb, it's a finite verb, and it's the Aorist passive subjunctive. And we noted last time that every time that you see knowledge, see this is talking about taking in doctrine, you'll see being filled or acquiring this knowledge is in the passive voice. It's in the passive voice because it is God the Holy Spirit that is our mentor, and all we have to do is what? Show up, shut up, and learn. And when we do that, I get that from Rick Hughes, by the way. That's what he tells young people, but it applies to everybody. And what happens is the Holy Spirit and His mentorship ministry actually goes into our soul and starts changing the stinking thinking to line up with the thinking of Christ, which is the Word of God. The reason it's a subjunctive mood is because God gave us volition. And we can choose not even to show up. I mean, a lot of people have other things, and sometimes illness or certain uh, things on your schedule that just can't, can't be put off will keep us from being here sometimes. Usually it's on rare occasions. But for those believers who are serious students of the Word of God that are growing in grace, this subjunctive is... Um, could be changed to an indicative mood, mean it's reality. We are being filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So we talk about things here. We learn about things that are of a spiritual nature. And there are very few people out there that knows anything about the spiritual realm because it's not being taught. They call it religion. But religion is not the spiritual dynamics that God has revealed to His church-age believers, the royal family of God. So that's only potential, but it's our positive volition that makes this a reality. And that's what they're praying for, is that we will be filled. Or in this case, it was Paul and his followers who never ceased to pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of His spiritual wisdom and understanding so that, now we have a perfect clause, purpose clause, you will walk 
And this is an infinitive, aorist active. And what did walking mean here? It comes from peripateo. It means that your manner of life, the way you live your life, and the man that would that it would be worthy of the Lord. Everything that we have comes from the Lord. You ever think of that? What do you have that the Lord did not bless you with? Even if you say, well, I've been a hard worker and I have really applied myself, had self-discipline, uh, used the characteristics that are necessary to get ahead, then that's fine. But you have health. You've got to have health to do that. You've got to be breathing to do that, don't you? Every breath that we get is a grace gift from God. We don't earn it or deserve it. The opportunities that came your way. Uh, maybe you advanced in school to a point to where you had more opportunities. But there are a lot of people that have, have risen high in, in the academic field that don't have jobs today. Everything, my point is everything that we have is by the grace of God. Therefore, we should walk in a manner our life style should be lived in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit. This is a participle. Present active means continue to bear fruit. If you stick with it, if you learn the principles, if you apply the principles, it is a guarantee that you're going to produce fruit. Fruit of the Spirit is one of the things. Y'all remember the fruit of the Spirit? You're going to be productive. You're going to be living a life that matters. You're going to be producing divine good, which is what? Rewardable. So, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing. Here we have another present. This is a, a participle, but it's a, because it's going to be talking about knowledge, it's what? It's in the passive voice. This is Eris, excuse me, a. Uh, present passive participle. So we are to bear fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now what I want you to see in the structure of this verse is first of all, it starts out in that first sentence talking about what? Praying that they would be filled with what? Knowledge. That you would receive that knowledge. Passive voice. So that you can walk. Walk is a, is, is a lifestyle. It's a manner of life. Worthy of the Lord. And if you're going to work in a lifestyle that is worthy of the Lord, you have to have two things going on in your life. You have to be acquiring knowledge and you have to be producing fruit. But what came first? Knowledge. You can't serve. You can't fulfill the Christian life in ignorance. You will revert to emotionalism every time. Most people in this world, most Christians in this world live by their emotions because they have no doctrine in their soul. They don't go by principle. They don't make decisions based on facts or on doctrine, but however they may be feeling at any given time. And how stable is your emotions? Have you been talking to somebody and just feel it welling up in you? It might be anger. It might be fear, whatever it is. 
Emotions change. So we go from knowledge and even spiritual wisdom and understanding. You have that first so that you can walk. You can live a life worthy of the Lord. But that means in order to please Him, we have to bear fruit in doing good work. But then what does it say? Increasing in the knowledge of God. So you go from knowledge to walking to producing fruit. And as you're doing that, this present tense, this participle means you are continuing to get knowledge. Do you know what happens when you quit getting knowledge? You quit, you quit bearing fruit. Your spiritual momentum ends. It dies. Remember the... I heard this uh, two weeks ago. I thought it was a great illustration of what our spiritual momentum is like. We're going uphill. Would you agree that this life is an uphill struggle? Uh, you may have a, little, a few little valleys, but for the most part, it's uphill. And you're riding a bicycle that has no brakes. And as long as you're pedaling, what? Getting to the top, right? As long as you're getting knowledge and the filling of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be living a life that's worthy to God, worthy of God, and you're going to be producing. But whenever that knowledge quits, you know what happens? That intake of knowledge? You quit pedaling. But you have no brakes. What happens? <laughs> You're going to crash going backwards. You're going to be crashing going downhill. Have you ever done that? I've done that on a ski slope before. I mean, it's bad enough when you crash going forward. But I was on a black diamond one time I had no business being on. And somehow, <laughs> you know, a black diamond is about like this. And somehow I got turned around and started skiing backwards, not by choice. And I can assure you, when you crash going backwards, it's much worse than skiing backwards. You don't see it coming. And it's just crash, bam. So, Anyhow, I wanted to go through that and just bring that out. For, that is a beautiful verse there because it's giving us the sequence. It's giving us, in, in that one verse, all-inclusive, the things that we need to know. We need to know spiritual understanding, wisdom. Then comes the ability to walk, peripateo, in a way, in a way, manner worthy of God, and in doing that, we are going to be producing fruit, producing fruit. We're going to be doing good deeds, divine good, increasing. In fact, I want you to underline that last phrase: that increasing in the knowledge of God, because a lot of people think that okay, I go along with the. The knowledge, you've got to have knowledge. You've got to have spiritual understanding and wisdom in order to walk in a manner worthy of God. And if we're going to please Him in all respects, we have to bear fruit and do good works. All that, they're on board. There's no problem. But they think that you get the knowledge up front, and once you start living the Christian way of life, you're walking in a worthy, worthy of, of God, and you're producing good fruit, you know, divine good, and you're producing fruit, why do you kind of keep getting knowledge? A lot of people aren't even here because they think, I know it, I've been doing it. Why do I need to keep increasing in knowledge? Because when you quit increasing in knowledge, you quit peddling. And you're, you'll be in reversionism so fast you won't believe it. The world has become too evil, too decadent. Remember last 
Tuesday night, I start out by talking about the news and all the subtle deceptions that are there. You can't watch the news. You can't listen to the radio. You can't read the newspaper. You can't go to the Internet. You can't go anywhere without this tremendous amount of counterfeit propaganda. And if you haven't nourished your soul with that uh, truth, you're going to fall for it. And when you do, it makes it that much easier to go down that track. And we don't want to go down that track. Okay. We'll press on now. We are in in a manner worthy of God. And this is, we just touched this, just, just read it is all we did last time. <clears throat> the last part of verse 12. Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is a sobering thought, isn't it? Dare I say uh, that we should have a eternal destiny, a personal sense of eternal destiny? Do you see how that would be read into this portion? He calls us or calls you into His own kingdom and glory. There's a kingdom coming. It's going to be God's kingdom and Christ is going to come back to earth and He is going to rule with a rod of iron. It will last a thousand years. And some of you are going to be ruling with Him and you're going to share His glory. Can you imagine? We, we can't even... The most vivid imagination here or even in the whole world can't even come close to what the glory of God is, out, is about. We, we, we can go to a revelation. I can take you to places where it talks about from, from His throne. And several places it talks about peals of thunder and lightning and crashing. And, and there, on earth there's going to be um, storms. There's going to be volcanic action, volcanoes going off, and all these things in reference to God's throne. It's, it's describing just a little bit about the glory of God. And we have the high honor. He says He calls you to His own Kingdom and glory. You want to share His glory? I didn't ask you if you're going to be in His kingdom. You can be in His kingdom. You're going to be in His kingdom if you're a believer. What are you going to be doing? Uh, some See, to me, it is a motivation to be able to reign with Christ. But some... People, mainly the female type, that's not really a motivation to them. They really don't want to reign. Why do I want to reign? I, you know, I'm, I'm a submissive wife, and uh, I depend on people who uh, take care of me, and this type of thing. I, it just really didn't motivate me to reign. But this is what's, what what they're missing: is that reigning with Christ is an opportunity to demonstrate. Your love and gratitude for what He's done for you. It's an ability to serve Him in even a greater capacity. It's not about being a boss boss and lording it over people. It's about serving Him uh, in a whole other degree, higher degree. And that should motivate us. I think it should anyway. Healing glory. 
God did not just save us from sin. He also saved us to share His kingdom and glory. Here we are. What are all of us? We're nothing but saved sinners, aren't we? Isn't that what we are? What do we, what do we have? What is inherently in us that is, is due God's glory? In other words, what do we deserve to get God's glory? Nothing. The fact that we're saved is just, un, it's believable, but it's phenomenal that the God of the universe would become a man on our behalf for us and suffer the excruciating indignity and shame of the cross for us and then have it for all eternity. We don't have to worry about it. He took care of it. That's enough to just blow your mind. When I was in the senior in high school, we'd say that would just blow your doors off. You know where that came from? You know where that comes? Anybody have an idea what that means? You ever heard of it? Yeah. I mean, somebody would say, "You think you got a fast car? I've got a car so fast when I pass you, it's going to blow your doors off." That's where it came from. So, <clears throat> this is unbelievable that God is going to share His glory with us. To the ignorant and arrogant, and those two go together, by the way. This means nothing. They have no appreciation for what God has made available to them. And all I can say to that is, what a shame. All they have to live for is the now. Okay. You already press on to verse 13? Here's verse 13. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the Word of God's message... You accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. We start out with a fairly long phrase here. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God. First, I want you to notice that they were constantly thanking God for something. In other words, they had the capacity to appreciate who and what God is and what He's done for them and what He will do. There's always reasons to show gratitude to God. you agree? On your worst day, there's always, even then, a lot of reasons to give gratitude and be thankful to God. After all, He gave you the day. If it's a bad day, it very well might be a potential great day for you. It may be that God has brought undeserved suffering into your life to advance you, to show you off. And you may blow it by just complaining and, and, and griping about how bad the day is. Have you ever heard people say, for me, there is no bad day? Ever heard that? Has anybody heard that? Raise your hand if you've heard that. One person? Two. Y'all need to get out more. Something. I mean, I hear that all the time. <laughs> sure. I mean, you know, it's these perky, lurky types, you know. And then I, for the most part, I think it's superficial. You say, how are you doing today? Oh, well, every day for me is good. I've never had a bad day. You never run into somebody like that? It's just like you go, oh, not this early in the morning, please. Like this. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
It's kind of unbelievable. But in, in principle, we don't count our days good or bad according to our circumstances, or at least we shouldn't. Because we should view undeserved suffering when we are experiencing adversity as an opportunity to apply doctrine and advance our growth, to see how God is going to work on our behalf. All of us have that opportunity. It depends on what you're thinking about those circumstances as to whether it's going to be a good day or a bad day. So there's always reason to show gratitude to God. We should be thankful, thanking Him every day for His undeserved grace and blessings. These days, we have some of the most unthankful, conceited, self-absorbed, ill-mannered, disrespectful people who have ever lived. And I made that as verbose as I could, as grandiose as I could, because I think our times and our society deserve it. One of the things that characterizes a civilization that is on the downturn, that is going out, is a lack of appreciation. And we just don't have it these days. They seldom, if ever, give God a thought, much less give Him the praise and gratitude He deserves. They don't even give people that, they, that, that go out of their way to help them and do things for them. They don't even give them gratitude. They don't even think about God, much less thank Him for what He does for them. Grace-oriented people show appreciation. Arrogant people take things for granted. See, if you're grace-oriented, you understand that you can't earn or deserve all these things, that it's grace, and you have, what? Gratitude. But arrogant people think the whole world owes them a living, and they, they have no gratitude. You don't see many grace-oriented people today because most people, uh, don't know what grace is, and they've never been, they've never been taught good manners. Thoughtfulness and courtesy are quickly becoming a thing of the past if they're not already in the past. Now, I'm not... I, know, I realize that I'm preaching to the choir, but probably I see some nod, uh, heads nodding out there in the affirmative. Yes, you've noticed that also. But there are some very... We have a lot of homeschoolers. I, most of the time, if I meet a, a person that's been homeschooled, I can tell them, and they have to say, standing up straight, and they look like they've been trained, and they have manners. No, what? Well, look at people. And actually, the better the slob ones, one good public school, the time they did, when I was at school, you better call a teacher, and it better make them, yes, sir, no, sir. Where are you home? I don't have to touch with you, because they said, fly out. From being a uh, uh, constant giving God. If you're not every day, the question is, why aren't you? I'm sure. He did in a point of From human, from human point, you give. Is it a everlasting? So the Bible is it's written by. Surely y'all have heard someone say that the Bible is by men, but are not. It is what? See our Lombano is beside her. For open I give the God that's the thankful. This is part of his but simple. That see, the God when he sees the message, they receive it a an 
Then we have from us a message. It means to be with mind and heart, i.e., it's by implication. By the way, being heard, it's not simple. Y'all remember the action they had open? That's what came from in to accept. This is a beautiful thing. The angels break off. So, first they heard, and they exited it, and constantly the Reformed theology say so you read past that it the first time get some positive volition just to hear and then and by a gift that God gives you about the active voice he chooses babe it would be in the passive voice not a wonder that's just more there's different they can go out and people why think the God first lessons. They heard it in power. They heard in the giving stuff now, which had only. They're going to know that number the great is true. Then they're going to doubt it. They're going to quit doing it. We're off. What everybody else believes something. On another hand, it's dodgy. The God talking to a homosexual. You're something about all the nonsense that they want done. They have no truth. But for what is is from God, the word of God has an idea. What he four twelve is. Maybe you've heard it before. For the Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul, the spirit, and the joints, the marrow, and is a critic of thoughts and intent of the heart. The motivation, even. God can see that. Everywhere you go, the Word is powerful. And you're not just giving your ideas. You see, people will try to discount you. Oh, well, that's just your idea. That's your interpretation. That's just you coming up with something. That's okay. If they want to say that, fine. You just keep shooting away, giving them that word, and it has the power to go in where you can't. No one can. Piercing even to the dividing of the soul of the Spirit. The Word of God is truth, and it goes places where nothing else can go. And people can be in darkness. They can be in sin so deep and be so hardened. But the Word of God is always powerful. You are handling one of the most powerful things, if not the most powerful thing in the universe, is truth. Sometimes we forget that. We have so many people trying to discredit, we start kind of believing this doesn't have the power that it does. And there's First Thessalonians 1.5. Yeah, I had it. Uh, that's what we have. And here's some other verses that I love these verses. I love verses that are describing God and describing His Word. Because don't we need something absolute, a rock to lean on? That's what these verses do for us. Look at this. Psalm 119, verses 129 through 30. Thy testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. Oh, y'all don't have it. Okay. Here you go. Yeah. Uh, thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul observes them. Verse 130. The unfolding of thy word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Let me tell y'all something. I am simple. Some of you say, Amen. <laughs> I'm so glad nobody said it. It really doesn't matter. But you know what? You're simple too. We're all simple. And we all need understanding. 
And the only true understanding comes from God's Word. Ecclesiastes 12.11 The words of the wise man are like goads. And masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. Now, I like Acts, 16, uh, Acts 26.14. It says the words of the wise men are like goads. You don't have to go there. I'll explain what it is. Remember when Paul was on the road to Damascus and he got kind of a roadblock there from Jesus Christ himself. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me and kicking against the goads? What's a goad? Well, people don't know what a goad is these days. When you used to have a wagon, you have an ox or mule or whatever it was, and you had a whip, and at the end was a little barb thing, and you would whack, hit that mule when he started getting off course, and he'd get right back in the, in the way because he didn't want that sting, see? What was Paul doing? He was persecuting Christians, and he was kicking against the goads. God was trying to show him, hey, you, you're on the wrong track. You're getting out, You're getting off course. He, wasn't even, he didn't even know where the course was, but he was kicking against God's training and his guidance. He'd kick against the goat. Have you ever... I bet Garth has seen this before. They actually kick at it. Kicking against the goat isn't, isn't a, a metaphor. It actually happens. That's what a, a creature will do. Kick against the goat. That means they're going against God. And so here we have the words of a wise man are like goads. In other words, you know, who would they, who would take the words of a wise man as a goad? Would it be someone that is really hungry for truth and is humble and just can't wait to learn more? No. It's to someone who is resisting it, isn't it? So when you give these nuggets of wisdom to people, and you, you're so, they mean so much to you, they're going to kick against them like they're a goad. They don't like it. The masters of these collections. Now, the reason he's saying master of these collections, this was written by Solomon, and he had more than one collection. And he says, uh, the words of the wise are like goes, and masters of these collections, that would be collections of words, words of wise men, are like well-driven nails. What do you reckon that means? If you're going to build something, and you have plenty of nails and they're, they're really driven down good, there's going to be what? Stability. It's going to be stable. So there's going to be stability there. That's where, remember when they used to do these, well, you wouldn't remember, but I mean in the Bible, they'd make these idols and they'd have to nail them to the, put all these nails and supports there just to try to what? Stabilize them. Well, the words are like a stabilizing factor. They are given by one capital S, shepherd. I and every other pastor is an under-shepherd. There's only one true shepherd, and that's Jesus Christ. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So when you're dealing with the Word of God, you think, well, it just makes no difference whatsoever. They're not getting it. Well, maybe they're not, but you're accomplishing what God had intended by giving it. That's the idea there. Oh, I like this one. Jeremiah 23:29. Is not my word like fire? 
declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock. Huh? How can you how can you deny that that's what the Word of God does? And people who are in rebellion, people who are living in uh, uh, living unrighteously, whatever their sin may be, hate the truth because it shatters them. It penetrates. They don't like it. They don't like light either. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God. Speculations and lofty things. Do you all ever hear these? Just talk to somebody about God or spiritual things and you'll see you'll get more speculations than you can dream of. Because people don't know what the words say. They speculate. Is that the dentist? The dentist came up with the idea. Did I tell you this? I can't remember if I did or not. I was at the dentist and my mouth was full. I couldn't speak, but Carrie was over here. And this dentist came out and he said, you know, when God created things, really he didn't create anything good or bad. It's man that really makes it good or bad. And I had this thing go... In my mouth, I can say anything. But Carrie was behind us, and she said, uh, "Excuse me. Everything that God made is good, regardless of what man said." You know. He said, "Let there be light," and it was. You know, the, the, the light was, and he called it what? Good. Everything he made is good. Now, where did this come from? This dentist that said this. Boop, right out thin air, speculation. It sounded good, but he and he backed off real quick because he knew that she was evidently he knew about a few verses in Genesis or something. All I'm saying is that's the speculations that you come into when you start talking to others about spiritual matters. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What a wonderful verse. Okay. Um, which also performs its work in you. Energeo is the verb. It's the present middle indicative. To work, to show activity, produce. First the Word of God works in us, then we work for God. That's got to be the order. The middle voice here means that we are benefited by the work by, by uh, God's Word. And the last thing, we'll close on this. Who believes? Just those last two little words. Dare we leave those out? Huh? The Word works in you if you what? Believe it. We dare not leave these out. These two words, pistuo, it's a participle, present active, means to believe, to trust, and have faith. I think one reason a lot of Christians are crippled in their spiritual life, even those that might come in here, when it all boils down to it, is they just really don't believe it. They don't have enough faith to recognize that this time that we're on this earth is fleeting. Eternity is right around the corner. 
And they hardly ever, if, if they ever, think about that. But I, I've challenged and challenged the best I know how for you and for myself to live every day in the light of eternity because it is coming. Godspeed. And we need to think of that and live our life as we, as we see that the, the, the Word works in us so that we can work for Him. But we have to believe it first. It's so easy these days to, to discount it. We've got to keep that number one in our focus. Let's close. Father, thank You for this time You've given us the fellowship in Your Word. Help us to recognize that we need to continue to increase in knowledge so that we can walk in a way that is worthy of You, producing fruit and divine good. Help us not to get distracted, to be fretful and woeful of things about us, but to continue to have the capacity to thank You for saving us and now giving us everything that we need in order to share Your glory and Your kingdom. We will for all eternity be thanking You for this. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.